good morning. Man, are you guys, I feel like I need to say y'all a lot today. That was awesome. Um, but yeah, Naz fam, thank you so much for joining us again this week. Um, it's been great to hear from you guys this past week, and uh, I'm very excited to be preaching once again. Um, I will say it's a little different still doing this, but I did go back and watch the game tape from last week, and so that made me realize a couple things. So first, I'm sorry I need to work on the glare. I didn't know the camera was going to be up there, but... Um, you know, it happens. Not all of us, here's the deal, not all of us can have beautiful hair like Pastor Dan. And speaking of Pastor Dan, I do need to issue a clarification real quick. Um, last week, I said running 13 miles with 45 pounds of sand strapped to his back was his warm-up. Um, I wasn't exactly totally truthful about that. Uh, this week, I observed him in his natural habitat. And I now know that that 13-mile, 45-pound sand run is actually his pre-warm-up. So, Pastor Dan, I apologize um, for that. And uh, second thing I realized, I do pray, uh, this is for you, Ben Licky. I pray that needing to know my middle name wasn't the only thing some of y'all got from last week's message. Um, in all seriousness, though, I hope uh, that God was able to um, use me to speak uh, to you last week, and I'm excited to be preaching again today. And if you weren't able to catch last week's message, I'd really encourage you to go check that out. Um, we talked about compassion and what compassion looks like as a follower of Christ and um, what it looks like, especially at a time when those of us who claim the name of Jesus need to be known for our love above everything else. Uh, before we get going this week, uh, let's read our theme verse together. And uh, just like last week, read it aloud with us um, at home and um, let's say it together. It comes from Luke 10, 27. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. Saw it up there. And love your neighbor as yourself, uh, Luke 10, 27. So, um, you know, it's really funny uh, when Pastor Michael was talking with us about this series and giving us um, the spiritual disciplines we'll be preaching on. Um, for me, I got probably the most tangible compassion, right? Easily understandable and probably the most ambiguous, which is today's topic, prayer. Uh, where to start, right? Uh, no matter what, no matter if you've been a Christian since birth, if you've been raised in the church, uh, if you're someone fairly new to faith, or uh, if you're joining us today, and I hope you are, and you're just seeking to learn more about um, all of this before deciding to commit your life to Jesus, prayer is something all of us would probably like to understand a little bit better. It's one of those things that can be intimidating, right? Especially the thought of praying in public for a lot of us is a really scary thing. And I think it can lead to a lot of questions and not a whole lot of answers. So let me tell you this. Um, there's absolutely, absolutely no way I could lay out in the hopefully few moments that we have here uh, all the essentials or all the thoughts on prayer. Um, it's one of those things that I think comes with time, with commitment, with understanding, and grace. And also I'd like to encourage you with this. Uh, I'd like to encourage you that if you have questions or if you um, just want uh, to talk more about prayer, uh, reach out to myself, reach out to one of our other awesome pastors and leaders here at the NAS, and we would love to talk to you about it. Uh, for me, as I begin to study and pray, pray about prayer, yeah, um, what God would have me to share this morning, I was led to uh, focus just on a couple aspects of prayer. Um, there's a lot that we could have focused on, but I hope that... Uh, this 
will speak to you. Um, really just some things that my walk with Christ has taught me about prayer and a couple practical applications that will hopefully help you as it's helped me as I pursue Jesus. Uh, the passage I want us to look at isn't a typical prayer passage. I can't remember a prayer message I've ever heard based on it, uh, but I believe God wants it to be our basis today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, we are going to be all in this chapter, but we're going to focus um, just really on all of it. Uh, the chapter, chapter 11, it's a lot of times called the faith chapter. It is uh, a bunch of verses that we could look at all of them, uh, but we aren't going to read all 40 verses together today. Uh, but I'd really like to encourage you sometime this week to do that, to read, uh, read this chapter. Um, the first two verses of the chapter really set the foundation for what we're going to talk about today. So this is what they say. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then it goes on. The next 10 verses uh, recount stories of some of the Old Testament heroes of the faith. Um, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah. This New Testament passage in Hebrews looks back to the very beginning of the Bible to remind the readers of the history of the people of God. It's calling out to the readers then and us now to remember who we are, to remember who they are in terms of our communal faith history. Later in the chapter, we're reminded of God's faithfulness even more. Uh, here's what it says in verses 32 through the first part of 35. It says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of Gideon and Samson, Japheth, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones again from death. It's the writer of Hebrews telling the people, remember who you are. Remember who you are in the scope of humanity. Remember that God hears your prayers, that God hears the prayers of his people. That term, remember who you are, it's pretty significant to me on a personal level. It's something that is kind of the catchphrase of my family. Uh, on my mom's side of the family, it's something we say just about any time anyone is leaving one of our big family gatherings. It's got a lot of meaning, but it's also our kind of tongue-in-cheek way of saying I love you. Seriously, anytime we're all together, if someone is about to leave because we ran out of plates or to go to the grocery store, whatever they're going to do, um, you're gonna, they're going to hear, remember who you are, from at least six family members around. Do you guys have anything like that in your family? Or is my family just weird? Well, we may be a little weird. Hi, Mom, by the way. Didn't say hi to her earlier. Better say hi to her now. Um, but since I can't hear you, uh, if, if you've got anything like that from your family, comment on our Facebook feed. Let us know what that is for your family. Out of those people that always say it, um, you know, it may be different, but there's one person who always is saying, remember who you are in our family, and that's my grandpa, Ken. Uh, he's my mom's dad, and he's kind of the patriarch of our family on that side. Most of you, some of the students have, but most of you haven't got to hear a lot of my story yet. Uh, but to sum up one part of it, Grandpa Ken and I are really close. He's always been there for me. He's played a large role in raising me. Um, when my mom and dad got divorced when I was three, Grandpa Ken really stepped in. He was a high school guidance counselor, a vice principal and athletic director, 
uh, at the same school for 32 years. And then he retired for like two weeks and he was driving my grandma crazy. So he worked at a JUCO for a couple more years working with students. Um, but he loves young people. Grandpa loves being around them. Uh, growing up, I got to be his shadow. Uh, I'm pretty sure that I went to my first ever sporting event while I was still in diapers. Uh, it was awesome. I got to go everywhere with him. Uh, he's the reason I fell in love with watching any and every sport. Sorry, Megan. And he's also the reason I could listen to sports talk radio forever. Once again, sorry, Megan. Uh, on a typical week, he would pick me up from school early on a Friday. Hey, the 80s got to be there early, so I have to miss math class. It's probably why I can't do math now, but it was awesome. And uh, we'd go to the football, basketball, softball, whatever game was uh, in season. And we'd go to the game, and then I'd get to spend the night with him and with Grandma Mary, his wife. And I'd, naturally, I'd be pretty wound up uh, when we got done with the evening because of all the snacks that I was able to convince him I had to have. And so I would uh, stay up late, and uh, I'd lay on the couch, and I'd watch TV until I crashed. Then on Saturday morning, we'd get up super early to go help with getting uh, whatever activity was ha happening off um, to their event. Uh, so we'd go to help the wrestlers weigh in. Uh, a lot, or we'd do some other things. Then we'd go eat breakfast at McDonald's, and then we'd go off to the tournament of the season, if it was volleyball, or wrestling, or baseball, or softball. And then once again, uh, that evening, kind of noticing a pattern here, I'd be all loaded up on sugar, and uh, I'd crash on the couch again at Grandma and Grandpa's house. And then on Sunday mornings, I would wake up to him making cinnamon toast in the oven, <gasps> the best, and we'd be off to church. Um, but, you know, I really thank God that Grandpa Ken didn't just teach me uh, the fastest back roads in southeast Kansas or how to ask the nice highway patrolman how his coach at whatever high school he was from was doing. Um, I still don't know how Grandpa knew every coach in a three-county area, but he did. But more than all that, Grandpa Ken taught me how to follow Christ. I didn't get to sleep in very late at Grandma and Grandpa's house. Uh, usually I'd start to be woken up around 4.30 in the morning. And uh, as I was in that uh, between awake and asleep phase, I'd hear Grandpa's voice. I'd look through my barely opened eyes, and I would see something really cool. Uh, I would hear him saying names out loud, and I'd see him turning pages. And I'd look through those eyes that were barely open, and I saw his Bible would be open, to the front cover, and then he'd also have the bulletin from church with the prayers and pages, prayers and praises page open. Um, and Grandpa would talk to his buddy Jesus. He'd talk to him about the names on the paper. He'd pray for the referees that had worked the games that weekend. He would pray for the coaches from all those little towns. For the police officer who let him off with it, why, yes, I was on the 94 team. Tell coach I'm not going to make it tonight, I'm out here. He'd pray for the guest speaker from church three years ago, and he'd pray for everyone else whose names were written on the front cover of his Bible. Now you guys understand why he got up so early. <laughs> I loved waking up to it, though. I loved waking up to the sound of the rustling of those pages in that Bible. I'd usually wake up around the C's, and I'd stay awake through the G's, and then I'd drift back to sleep until I heard my name in the T's, and that's when I knew it was time to start thinking about getting up. Don't want to miss out on breakfast. Got to catch Sports Center before we begin our day. You know, those memories shape my character. And I'll tell you what, I would love 
to hear those sounds again today. Grandpa doesn't get up quite as early anymore, and he doesn't always remember why some of the names are on the paper, but he still, still spends quality time with Jesus. Getting through that list probably takes a couple days now, uh, but that's okay with the Lord. They've talked about it. And while some of you aren't in there specifically on that list, I can promise you this, that at some point in the next couple days, Grandpa Ken will pray for Tyler and Megan's church in California and all those nice young people. When I think about this chapter and the people in Hebrews remembering the heroes of their faith, I think of the shared faith my family has because of people like Grandpa Ken. Remember who you are doesn't just mean don't do anything crazy. It means remember that I'm proud to claim you and I love you. In our family, we have those people who taught us to remember who we are. Grandpa Ken's grandpa, Daniel, was a pastor and he raised his family to deeply love Christ. He and those Christ followers before him wanted their loved ones to remember. Their examples inspired Grandpa Ken to spend quality time with Jesus every day. It continues with us. Now, I know for a lot of you, the thought of spending a couple hours in prayer each day is daunting. I get it. Uh, lately, for Megan and I, we've been waking up around 5 a.m., and we've been hearing names, but it's been the same two names. Yeah, right about 5, 5.30 if we're lucky. Um, we've been hearing dada, dada, dad, 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 and mama, mom, mom, mama, mama, coming through the monitor at our bedside table. And I've prayed, but it's been, dear Lord, please let her go back to sleep. I guess she can't help it, though. You know, she's being named after Grandpa Ken. It must have caused our Kennedy to get that wake up early and say names, Gene. She does love prayer, though. I can tell you this, there's nothing better, seriously, nothing better than seeing her pray over her mom and the baby and then feeling her little hands as she reaches out to pray for me. Every night we pray together as a family. Friends, I'll tell you this. If you aren't spending time with the Lord together, make it a priority. Seriously, it will totally reshape your family. Ask yourself this question. When was the last time your children or your spouse heard you talking to Jesus? What example are you setting for them when it comes to making connecting with Christ a priority? It will definitely keep your priorities in check too. If you and your spouse are having one of those less than perfect days, the Lord will use that little person who looks like your spouse. They'll grab your hand and they'll put it on your bride's head because it's your time to pray for mommy. And in that moment, the super frustrating thing that your spouse did, or the little comment you've been storing back there to use as a barb, it'll be replaced by the words you say, thanking God for your spouse, for the gift of your marriage, and asking Jesus to help them deal with the hard day at work they just had. You know, I, I do think, I think many of us hear an example um, of like that, or like Grandpa Ken, and think, that's cool, but that's just not how I'm wired. And in talking about prayer, I think it's easy for us to feel like we've got to all do it the same way and kind of follow the same pattern, right? Like if we don't always say the right words or we don't say them in the right order, then we're going to get the divine equivalent of God hitting the ignore button. I get it. I'm a pastor, right? I get paid to spend time with Jesus, and I don't pray for hours every morning. Today, the goal is this. The goal is not to give you some sort of step-by-step -step guaranteed formula. It's to help us as we think through this whole prayer conversation. 
Some of you may not be wired to be an early morning list praying person. And hear me when I say this, that's okay. God is creative and he makes us with a unique makeup. Don't get trapped in thinking the way you pray has to look just like everybody else. Even in the scriptures, right, we see this almost conflicting streams of thought on prayer. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells the listeners to pray in secret. In his letter to Timothy, Paul instructs people to pray everywhere. And in his letter to the Thessalonians, God inspires Paul to encourage people to pray without ceasing. Well, does that mean we have to figure out some way to pray quietly while in worship without stopping? I don't think so. I believe if we look at the context of those and other prayer-centric verses in the Word, it gives us an understanding that we can lean into the ways prayer is most natural for us and also allow ourselves to be challenged to connect with God in new and personally humbling ways. When you really think about it, you begin to realize that prayer kind of resides in this held tension. Let me give you some examples. Prayer is intimately personal, yet it's foundational for community. Prayer is spontaneous, yet reciting prayers like the Lord's Prayer are deeply life-giving. Sometimes the most profound and moving prayers are profoundly simple. What about this tension? Some prayers are answered, and some are not. Well, I've been sat on staff here at the NAS for less than six months, and Pastor Michael's away from his phone for a while, so it's a great time to say something that could be controversial, right? You know, I've heard a lot, and I mean a lot, of Christians boil prayer down to the simple explanation. If you've heard it this way too, give us a thumbs up on Facebook so we know we're not alone. They, they boil it down to this. They say, God always answers prayer in one of three ways. Yes, no, maybe. Anyone else ever heard that? Yeah, I think a lot of us have, right? And I'm not here to upset the apple cart or to say that that statement is not true. I just don't know if it can be boiled down to that cliche. I was talking with one of our uh, other pastors about this message, and we both agreed this. The longer we follow Jesus, the less certain Christian sayings, Christian colloquialisms seem to work. The yes, no, maybe statement was one of them. We really are fans of God saying yes, right? Yeah, it's awesome. When, God, when we come to God with a request and he says yes, it's pretty cool. God hears our cries and he answers us. My question today, though, is what happens when he doesn't? What happens when we ask and it seems like all we get is static on the other end of the line? Let's look back at Hebrews and look at verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 13 through 16 with me. Here's what it says. It says, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homestead. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. Hold up, what? People died believing the promise that wasn't received? You mean their prayers weren't answered? Yeah. They prayed their whole lives for things they never got to see. They didn't get to shut the mouths of lions or overthrow kingdoms. It's easy for us on this side of the cross to gloss over those verses and tie them up with a nice little Christian bow. 
we can say, well, they didn't experience it here, but they experienced it in heaven. Which, if we're being brutally honest, is totally okay for them, but that's not really our goal, right? We don't say, God, please don't let us experience the promise. No. You know, I love God's word. It's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it speaks when we choose to listen. So hear my heart when I say this. I'm not at all trying to make light of this, but sometimes I think it's hard for us to remember those names that we read are real people who really lived, who weren't walking around singing like angels, wearing their halos. They were flawed, they were complex, they were broken. Some of them prayed their whole lives for things they never got an answer to. As hard as it is, sometimes I'm so thankful that verse 35 of Hebrews 11 doesn't just end after saying, women receive their loved ones back from death. Let's read the rest of verse 35 through verse 38. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing the skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. Really uplifting passage to read, right? It makes me think of some of the hardest words of Jesus I can find in the Bible. John 16, says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And this is the hard part. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You know, as a young person growing up kind of in the church, I always struggled with those easy answers. To be honest, for me, it just made me feel like there was something wrong with me or I wasn't praying right or doing right. I didn't understand why my prayers for my parents to stay together didn't get answered. Why did my prayers for God to stop my dad from drinking not work? Why couldn't my mom and stepdad afford everything me and my brothers needed? Like I said earlier, the longer I follow Christ, the more I'm realizing the hard but beautiful place of tension. I've learned this, that prayer is less about the results and more about our relationship. I've also learned that God is big enough and deep enough and loving enough to give us space and opportunity to wrestle. It's a whole nother sermon, but read Genesis 32, 22 through 32. It's all about a prayer. We see Jacob wrestle with God. God doesn't destroy him or condemn him for wrestling. No, not at all. God wrestles with him all night. Jacob is allowed to spend time in the struggle. And at the end of the struggle, he's given a new name, Israel. He leaves remembering the God who touched him in the struggle, and he was never the same. Now, was his prayer answered? Not really. But his relationship was brought into a deeper and more open place. He would never forget the God who comes down from heavenly heights to touch us and leave us never the same. Maybe, it's th maybe that's a picture of prayer we need today. Maybe today we, rem remember, we need to remember the God who hears, who empathizes, and who touches us. That God's love is not dependent on the outcome of our struggle. The same Jesus that loves Abraham and Isaac and Jacob loves those unnamed New Testament martyrs. You know, as a youth pastor, I've had students who prayed heartfelt and desperate prayer, prayers. And to be honest, I don't understand why some of them are answered and some are not. You know, I, I've looked across the table at a teen victim of human trafficking who asked me, why didn't God stop this? 
I've celebrated with a baby who was born with spots all over his brain, was totally and miraculously healed. I've hugged a 17-year-old who wasn't ready for a baby, then couldn't stop crying when she had a miscarriage. I've been on both sides personally of the infertility struggle. Having to stop scrolling because seeing another birth announcement rips your heart out of your chest. Then, trying not to be too excited or too loud about our growing family out of an attempt to love and respect those who are in the midst of that struggle. Those and other moments have led me to a real truth. It isn't always easy, but I fully believe it to be true. That's why I need to remind myself that Jesus' love says, Tyler, remember who you are. You are mine. This may not be a part of the plan, but I am prepared to help you persevere. What man intended for evil, I can use for good. You know, God's love has very little to do with my circumstances. Whether or not God answers my prayer doesn't change who God inherently is. The faithfulness of God, this is really hard. (laughs) The faithfulness of God is sometimes magnified in the longing for an answer that doesn't come. It's when we walk with that thorn in our flesh that isn't removed, but it reminds us daily of our need for the ultimate healer's divine activity in our lives. For Megan and I in our specific situation, you know, I don't know what changed or why after five and a half years of trying, we were finally able to have a baby. I really don't know how we were able to have another baby so quickly, but I do know this. I know that if Megan and I were raising biological children when we moved to Ava, Missouri, we wouldn't have had the space, physical, spiritual, or emotional, to open our lives and our home to three fabulous kids that we love now as if we'd been there when they were born. I know we were able to do our very best to love them and provide for them and feel for them. That we were able to hold them in their tension as they struggled with their prayers because they prayed for their father to step away from drugs and step into the role of dad God created. But it didn't happen. I know that we got to be grandparents at 25 and parents after, and that wasn't in our five-year plan, but now we get to love Jet and Nash and Maverick, and we get to walk through being parents of littles at the same time our kids are. I know this. I know the most impactful moments of prayer in my life have happened in distinctly different ways. Praying like crazy with my heart beating a million miles an hour in the OB's office uh, when they couldn't find Kennedy's heartbeat at our second sonogram. It was probably only like 10 minutes, but it felt like forever. I remember driving home from meeting with a broken student not able to even get fully words out and parking by the city lake in Fort Scott, Kansas and just weeping. I remember walking to the top of the arena at Nazarene Youth Conference 15 in Louisville and Nazarene Youth Conference 19 in Phoenix and watching thousands of students worshiping and thanking God that I get to be a part of his mission to love young people. Praying through with my friend Sean as he finally accepted a call to ministry and then praying over him a few years later as he was getting ready to speak to hundreds of teens at our district fall retreat. You know, prayer is mysterious and it's beautiful and it's real and it's raw. It's when we stop doing and start opening up to the God who hears our cry. It happens at the dedication of a child and at the graveside of a friend. You know, Grandpa Ken and Grandma Mary, they've slowed down quite a bit. Uh, They finally moved into an apartment at the assisted living facility. I still love to listen to him pray. Sometimes he forgets where he is, but that's okay. God understands the cry of his heart. You know, I'll never forget all those early morning prayer sessions. One time I asked Grandpa about his prayer life. Uh, I was starting out in ministry, and I'd heard a really well-meaning pastor teaching on prayer. And this pastor said that to be a great follower of Christ and to lead people, 
you have to pray for at least one to two hours a day and follow this certain formula. And it really freaked me out. I am not an early riser. Seriously, ask the guys group, Chris, Jay, others. I'm sorry that I'm not going to be there every week at 6 a.m. So I told Grandpa about this, and I asked him his opinion. He smiled, and he said, well, buddy, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think God made you because he enjoys late-night prayer as much as he enjoys early mornings. I get up early to talk to him because I'm so excited for the day, but I also go to bed after the wheel. You guys know the wheel, wheel of fortune, yeah? You may not pray like me, but, but when you're talking to those young people about their days and asking them what's going on in their lives, well, that sure sounds like prayer. Where two or more are gathered, right? Grandpa's pretty smart. Still trying to convince him he can't be both a KU and a K-State fan, but he'll get there. You know, as I've watched him age and as I've grown in my faith, I'm reminded of my favorite part of his prayers. You see, every time, no matter what, even to this day, Grandpa ends his prayer the same way. He says this, he says, this is how he ends his prayer. He says, Lord, thank you for today. Help me to be like Jesus to someone. It's your day. Use me as you see fit. I give my life again today. Love you, buddy. Remember who you are. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this beautiful and mysterious thing called prayer. God, you don't need us, but you choose us to be in community with you. Father, I pray for those of us who are experiencing unanswered prayers. God, remind us that our love is not contingent on experiences and mistakes. Help us to spend time with you daily in both the ways we are comfortable and in ways that push us out of our comfort zones and deeper into dependence on you. Lord, thank you for today. Help us to be like Jesus to someone. It's your day. Use us as you see fit. We give our lives to you again today. Help us to remember who you are and who you say we are. Love you, buddy. Amen. This week, hope I do the actions right. Love God. Live as a family. Go and make disciples. Have a great week.